Hello and welcome to On the Record by the Jakarta Post. My name is Lula, writer and junior producer. And I'm Sheena, also writer and junior producer. For the next 15 minutes or so, you're going to hear us talk about topics relevant to Indonesia, from societal and cultural issues, political affairs, and business and tech insights. So, Sheena, for our second episode, what are we going to talk about? Well, you certainly sound refreshed. Still in the eat spirit? Nah, this is just a gallon of caffeine, which I'd been missing dearly throughout the fasting period. And no, I'd like to say I've recovered from post-eat euphoria because otherwise I'd be stuffing my face full of opor. <laughs> Speak for yourself, I ate ketupat this morning for breakfast. Anyway, speaking of Indonesian comfort food that we love, let's talk about sugar history in Indonesia because now that Ramadan is over, is there anything better to talk about? Well, that was rhetorical. You know, I may be biased. Obviously, but I do think that everyone needs to be more exposed to Indonesian food. With how diverse our culture is, so is our cuisine. Like, what we eat in Java is definitely different from traditional food in Sulawesi or Sumatra. I think this is one of those things that people sort of know about, but also don't know enough about. You know what I mean? Like, it's such a shame that it's not as well known as food from our neighbors, because when you look at the ingredients in Malay and Indian food, you'll see a lot of things in common, like the herbs, spices, and seasonings they use. I think it's interesting that only a handful of media conversations revolve around the relationship between sugar and Indonesian cuisines. Well, I mean, some of it is well known, so it's out there for sure. Like, I remember how proud I was when I first heard a TED talk by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie mentioning Indomie. Oh, which one? What is it called? Um, it's called We Should All Be Feminist. Oh, it was so good. Have you seen it? Sure, love her absolute queen. Yeah, me too. I mean, her speech was in one of Beyonce's songs, right? Yes, it was. It wasn't flawless. Excellent. Anyway, speaking of Indomie, do you know the secret that made it uniquely Indonesian? Do tell. There's that distinctive sweetness from the soy sauce and all. Ah, that. Okay, yeah. I can attest to that. Indonesian food are usually sweeter than most. Which really shows how a simple condiment can actually play such a big part in a country's culture. But because we're both big history buffs. <laughs> oh my god, we really are. <laughs> Let's go back a little bit. Back to the beginning? <laughs> back to when the earth, the sun, and the stars all align. Hillary Duff, people. Okay, for real. Back in the days of yore, Indonesia was famous for its spices, and they were the main merchandise among Chinese and Arab traders who sold them to Europeans. Naturally, Europe wanted to gain direct access to spice production. In 1512, the Portuguese arrived in Maluku, followed by Spain a decade later. By the end of that century, the Netherlands and Great Britain were competing to gain a majority stake on Indonesian spices. If you remember your history lessons well, I do. The Dutch East Indies Company, or VOC, began to take over spice production alongside the British East India Company, or EIC. They achieved this through forced labor among the native population, lasting hundreds of years. Actually, if you want to read more about this, you can check out a book by Nurdian Sahdalijo called Rumah di Tanah Rempah, which roughly translates to House in the Land of Spices. It came out two years ago, and it's the main reference on the role of spices in Indonesia's history. 
Also, if you're not sure, you can check out the review on our beloved website under A Journey Through Time and Spice. Ooh, love that title. I know, right? Anyway, back to sugar. I'm going to jump all the way to the 19th century. The years between 1880s and 1930 was the period of sugar's peak expansion. By the 1880s, under the Netherlands colonial reign, Indonesia's sugar industry, located exclusively in the island of Java, became one of the leading sectors of the international sugar economy of the late colonial era. Sugar production accounted for 4% of Dutch GDP at one point. But we can't let them have all the fun. In the Principality of Mangkunegara, which was one of the subsidiary of the Mataram dynasty, Mangkunegara IV was called the Sugar King of Java because of how much sugar production there was under his leadership. And then in its neighbor, the Sultanate of Yogyakarta, we can see how sugar became a fixed part of everybody's daily diet. Studies say that the sweet taste in Japanese cuisine has to do with the excessive sugar supply as a result of the many sugar factories owned by the 7th and 8th Sultan Hamengkubuwono. In fact, it was said that these sugar factories played a big part in how the Kraton, the royal court of Yogyakarta, gained prosperity. At this point, sugar has infiltrated more than just our cuisine, but also our intangible heritage. In the art of wayang, scenes are often shown accompanied by the song Gula Kelapa and more. But even those times of glory came to an end. Fast forward to World War II, where Indonesia was under the rule of a Pacific neighbor, Japan. 1937 to 1942 saw a lot of shortages, and the Japanese dealt with it through economic reorganization projects that required fast stretches of farmland and massive labor mobilization. As a result, local food production was undermined. They started strict rationing for the most basic goods, especially food. Now, the daily ration was set at 200 grams per adult, with carbohydrates made up of corn and soybeans. Only sugar which no longer had an export market because trade moves were getting difficult, was in plentiful supply. And of course, we gained our independence in 1945, which turned out to be rather turbulent at the start of it in 1946 when our government took over the sugar factories that was under the Sultanate and Mangkunegaran. The nationalization of foreign companies continued until 1957. Throughout, there was a significant decline in sugar production. In 1955, sugar cane production dropped from 14 tons per hectare to only under 9 tons. So, with the decrease in sugar productivity and the increasing demand, Indonesia became a sugar-importing country starting from 1967. Jumping all the way to the 21st century, from 2002 to 2008, the government made efforts to phase out foreign imports by imposing an import limit to refined sugar. Wait, what's refined sugar? Well, super short explanation, refined sugar is the sugar that the industry uses to make packaged food and drinks. So when you think about soda, the sugar that you get is the refined one. Okay, researching about the different types of sugar feels a lot like Alice entering the rabbit hole. It's so fascinating. And here's the great news. If this is something you're interested in, we've got you covered. We've pulled all the interesting tidbits on sugar, and you can check it out on the link we've copy-pasted into this episode's description. Thank you for that little info, Lollapalooza. Here's another interesting bit. Indonesia's growing middle class's increasing appetite for processed food is seeing a large-scale expansion by the country's processed food producers, which require industrial sugar for production. Indonesia currently has 63 sugar mills owned by 18 companies, yet the majority of these facilities are no longer in operation due to underinvestment and 
low productivity. In 2020, Indonesia was the 27th largest exporter of sugar and sugar confectionery, with a value of $315 million. So, the government's effort did pay off, literally. But not so fast. The same year also saw Indonesia importing $1.79 billion worth of sugar and sugar confectioneries, making it the third biggest importer of sugar in the world. Here's the question. Like, what have we been eating up to that point to warrant such high demand? Um, that is a topic for another time. But not today. I think we've covered a good ground on sugar and Indonesian cuisine on this episode. We realized that there's only so much we can cover in under 15 minutes. So for those of you who are looking to know more about this issue, don't you worry. Because this is such an extensive and important topic. So we decided to release two content pieces as part of our sugar fever installment. One of them is already up on the JakartaPost.com. And another is coming up on June 7th. So, you know, stay tuned. And tell your friends. Tell everyone you know. Of course, don't forget to follow our Instagram at, at ontherecord.tjp. And come say hi. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, feel free to slide into our DM or leave a comment. Tell us what you want to hear more on On The Record. Or what you think about our episode so far. Before we go, we would like to remind you yet again to go to www.thejakartapost.com and subscribe so you can read all the information we left out on this podcast because, as we've said before, there are a lot. Right, and once again, I'm Lula. And I'm Sheena. And this is On The Record. Thank you so much for listening and see you next time. Finger guns.